0: I'd like to transition now um, to the focal point of our worship, and uh, I, I got to say it's uh, just a joy uh, to be here, and um, for, the very, uh, for the privilege of, of preaching from this pulpit too, um, we recognize how highly you value God's word and the, and the proper exposition of it, and so it's very humbling for me to be here. Um, and, uh, but what an opportunity, and uh, the, the greatest conviction I've had, and I, I don't preach very regularly, I've been, I've been able to preach a little bit while in Uganda, but um, one growing conviction I have is that my job as I open God's Word with you, and you can start to open to Psalm 145 uh, this morning, is that we come worshiping, and that as I open God's Word, as I try to communicate just a portion of, of what God has been revealing in my heart and in my life and what He would have you hear today, um, that this in itself is an act of worship. And that it would be foolish of me to come in any way that is less than what God has appointed for His Word. So let's come reverently, expectantly, and, uh, and let's pray. Lord God, we thank You and praise You for who You are. That You, Jesus, are the Word made flesh. And by Your Word, You created all things. By You, all things were created and for You. And all things hold together in You, as we know from Your Word. God Almighty, we just pray that You would uncover in our own hearts, Lord God, ways in which we have failed to be in awe of You, Lord God, and help us to return to... The awe that you command in your word, and Lord, the, the awe that is um, the part of every believer's life, and Lord, may we live in light of that. For your praise, and for your honor, and for your glory, we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start with an introduction, which tells a little story of, of uh, ways I've struggled in, in transitioning to the mission field, um, uh, a little bit about my story. Uh, we were called to the mission field after a short-term mission trip. And I understand that you uh, and your church are, are planning something like that maybe next year. That's very exciting for me. Um, as, uh, as a young man, I went on s- short-term mission trips even when... I was at uh, in college um, at the U.S. Naval Academy on spring break. I was able to get away and, and do some short-term trips. But um, on this, uh, right before we went on our short-term missions trip with our church uh, out of Texas, um, I came home from work one day, and I told my wife, Honey, I I love this job I have. I mean, I could do this for the next 20 years and die a very contented man. I mean... This is awesome. I'm able to serve in the church as much as I want and can and, and and uh the work I do is rewarding. I'm able to help people. Um and uh little did I know, a month later, I'd be on my face imploring God to show me his will and and to discern whether or not I'd be a missionary in Uganda. And here we are. Guess what? Um he said yes and he called us And so, um, in light of that, I just want to share with you that, um, who knows how God, God doesn't call most people on a short term mission trip, but he is calling people and he, his commission to go into all the world stands for us. And that means if people are going, that means others are sending, right? And so as you consider even a short term trip, I want you to be praying, right? It starts with prayer. And pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Um, so we answered that call to be workers in the harvest of what God's doing. And during this time, um, God's uncovered some things which were very clearly um, what we thought was Christianity, but it was actually uh, being an American or being a just a, a, a driven person. And, and I think this anecdote kind of, kind of shares that. Without any more introduction, I'm just going to read it. Otherwise, I'll keep rambling, okay? So, um, <clears throat> wow, look at that. We exclaimed as a fireworks display of raw natural beauty exploded before us. A front of thunderclouds on the northeastern horizon rolled in, sending lightning bolts into the treetops on the distant ridge. And as the thunder reached us, we flinched reflexively as if lowering three inches might protect us. Psalm 19 immediately leapt to mind, the heavens declare the glory of God. Oh, the storm, we see that all the time here, and we never even notice it. This was our first rainy season in Uganda, and at least the 50th for Lydia, our friend. Probably six months later, during the next rainy season, my response was quite different. As, light, as lightning flashed, thunder rolled, and drops began to drum on the batty, the metal roofing material above me, the first thing that came to mind was, oh great, the grass teams are going to be dodging work again. Let's see how many actually stick around today. Even as I spoke, some were gathering on my front porch to avoid the great fat raindrops that were now swelling into torrents. I wasn't thinking about God's merciful and faithful nature to soften the soil for planting and water-believing and unbelieving farmers' crops? What had happened in such a short time? Or as the question has returned to me over and over again in these first two years in Africa, what was wrong with me? What was it that elevated my blood pressure, prompted sarcastic f- comments to flood my thoughts and lips, increased my irritability and decreased my patience with the people around me? In short, I had lost my awe of God. The thundering and flashes of fire on Mount Sinai left the children of Israel begging for an intermediary to shelter them from the blast of God's ineffable glory. In fact, if we think briefly, we can remember the revealing of God's glory throughout his word and the resulting awe putting God's people flat on their face. Yet here I was in the very presence of the same eternal king, grumbling sarcastically, thinking very small, selfish thoughts. These same thoughts have tripped me up several times in our first year and nine months of ministry in Uganda, and they've threatened my my joy and passion for the Lord's work, the unity of our marriage, our family, and our ministry team, my confidence in God to care for me and my family, my trust in the Lord, and even my sleep. This morning, I'd like us to look at Psalm 145, where the awe of God is the overriding worldview of King David. I'd like us to consider if in ministry or or simply in life, have we been captured by something other than the majestic, powerful, gracious, merciful, patient, magnificence of the glory of the triune, holy, all-knowing, good, and gracious, all-powerful, sovereign creator, the faithful King of kings and Lord of lords? Let's turn to Psalm 145 and I'll read it. I'll I'll be reading from the ESV. Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. And his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And I think we can say amen. What is David's worldview? Well, it is, as Paul Tripp says in his book, Dangerous Calling, that every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of Him. This means the deepest, most life-shaping, practical, daily motivation of every human being was designed to be the awe of God. This is the calling of every person. This is the umbrella of protection over every person. This is the reality that is to define and give shape to to every other reality in a person's life. Really? Is, is that what's intended here? As we study this psalm, I think it'll be very clear that this is, in fact, true. And that the cares and concerns that crowded my heart on that rainy day in Africa were indeed an awe problem. David, in this last psalm, bearing the title of David, summarizes a life of living as Israel's second king and God's servant. This poet-prophet would tell of the eternal life to come in an eternal kingdom of the king of kings. This is a psalm of praise. David himself authors over 70 psalms. And instead of a lament, a cry for help, or, or any of the other types of psalms in this one, it's... A psalm of praise. And it introduces the last uh, five psalms of the, of the Psalter, uh, which are, all begin and end with praise the Lord. And so uh, let's look at what should uh, a life of awe look like. And that's, that's our first question. What should capture your awe? And let's dive right into the text to, to find our answer. Because David wastes no time. What does he say? I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Clearly, God is the object of his awe. He says, my God and king. This is the the word Elohim, right? Which brings us back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God, right? This, This plural form of God reminds us that he is a triune God in all his holiness. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three and yet one. This mystery is essential to his nature, right? He is eternal and forever. Why? Because he says, I'll praise your name forever and ever. And in verse 2, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And that reverberation just reminds us that for all of eternity, we will be praising and glorifying this king of kings and this Lord of lords. Interesting that David up to that time, probably the best king of Israel and probably the worst king of Israel, right? If we are honest, right? And yet he was given a promise that he would always have a king from his line on the throne we know that this is pointing to God, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's attributes of power are then emphasized, and that's, that's summarized here in this, in this third verse, which communicates really the great theme of this entire psalm. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. We see this echoed down throughout the entire Bibles in Isaiah, for example, where it says that in, in chapter 40 that his greatness is unsearchable. And this is repeated again in Psalm 40, but, but also in, in Job 26, he paints a beautiful picture of it where though we will praise God forever and ever, it says in Job 26, Job says, but, but what do I know of God? And he reminds us that when we worship and praise God forever and ever, all that we've known, all that we've amassed, even in the first million years of worship of God in heaven, it'll be, as he says, the hem of his garment. Just touching the fringe. Or just hearing a whisper from someone in the corner. Do I know what they're talking about? Do I know what they're discussing? No. It's just a whisper. Just a whisper. Even if I were to master all 66 books of God's inspired word, it would just be touching the hem of his garment. That's why we as his called ones are going to worship him forever and ever and learn about him forever and ever and try to plumb the depths of his eternal character. It seems clear that David understands this. And in Romans eleven thirty two, 32, after, ex- after expounding on the nature of the gospel and what it means to live by faith. Paul, the apostle, just explodes with this expression, Romans eleven thirty two. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how scr- unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to Him be glory forever and ever. And that brings us directly to our next point, question, and that is, what does this life of awe look like? What does it look like? Well, we we see that it explodes in praise, but I think one way we can group it here in Psalm 145 is that it's both a private communion, worship, of God, and it's also a corporate worship. And we see, we've already seen that in, in the personal pronoun that, that David's using. I will praise you. I will extol you. Um, and then his own expression that God is great, but look with me in verse 4. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And so we have this private worship, this private commitment to glorify God, the great God. But then he says in verse four, that one generation shall commend your works to another. In fact, that's what we do every time we open God's word and preach God's word, right? We're commending God's works, God's power. We're reminding ourselves of what God has done from one generation to another, to generations above us, to generations below us but it's a passing on. Really, that is the whole reason I'm in Uganda, is to commend the mighty acts, the mighty works of God's amazing, sovereign, monergistic, self-saving power from one generation to another, right? And just as Paul explains in four generations of worshipers, right, to Timothy, he says, you know, entrust these truths to faithful men who will be faithful to teach others, right? We have Paul, we have Timothy, we have those in to whom he's entrusted these truths, and those who will be faithful to teach others. And so we we know that this is a theme throughout Scripture, and so this, this Psalm continues just to explode in the praise of God, and and we know throughout the Psalms, so many of David's Psalms are personal ex, expressions of his praise and glory to God. Right, one thing I ask, and I would seek. Right, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Right, Psalm twenty-seven, um, and so this is a heart that is captivated by God and and a King, as King and, and on whom He meditates. Um, in verse six, it says, "They shall speak of the might of Your awesome deeds, and I will declare Your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of Your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud." Of your righteousness. What what does this life look like? It looks like a life that is thinking, meditating. Uh, Here in verse 7, where it says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. I love the way the the NASB says the memory. So they are they're they're meditating, they're ruminating, they're thinking about who God is. What are they what are they thinking about? They're thinking about his abundant goodness. And, and they're singing aloud of his righteousness. So it's not just a quiet, private, just me and my Lord. It's, it's, it's a worship that becomes corporate and sings aloud, that proclaims out of the overflow, the abundance of, of one's private worship, a life on fire for God. And, and, and it considers all of his attributes, his goodness, his righteousness. And that's exactly where we come to in, in verse 8. The Lord, He is, what? He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, in verse 9, and His mercy is over all that He has made. And clearly, we, we hear the, the reverberation that David has already written throughout the psalm. Psalm 86, Psalm 103, right? This, this phrase, the Lord is gracious and merciful. but Really, it's going back to the, God's own words, to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 34, right? Remember where Moses is learning more and more. He's receiving the law. The people have fallen away. He's returned to the mountain. He's, he's learning more and more about God's character by the law that's revealed. And he says, ah, show me your glory. And God says, I will show you my glory, but you cannot look on the eternal and live. Stand upon this rock, and I'll hide you in a cleft of the rock, right? And God, God's glory passes before him. And how does God reveal himself? The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, right? And this great, the great mystery of the gospel is, is, is given there where it says, who will by no means clear the guilty, but he forgives sin. He, he loves to a thousand generations, those who love him and keep his commandments, but he what? Punishes those to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me And, and so we see a god who loves and forgives and we see a god who punishes and who will not just let the guilty go free and here is a great reminder to us that as we consider god's attributes we cannot look at one attribute and latch on in isolation to all his other amazing attributes as he's revealed to them revealed them in his word even here and, and throughout Scripture, where, where these phrases are grouped, he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to what? Anger. Right? God's anger is a part of his character. And to say that God is angry doesn't diminish his holiness or glory or his love even. Right? Because it says immediately after, he's abounding in steadfast love. And we see clearly in generations that have gone before us in this country, the overemphasis of, of God's attributes in, in, in isolation of others, whether it's his love or it's his anger, where people are, are hating others or they're loving others who they need to lovingly confront in their sin. And so this meditation on, on God's attributes must incorporate all of his attributes. It says, the Lord is good and his mercy is over all he has made. Look at what it says in verse 10. This has caused me to pause and wrestle with God's word over and over again. It says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And as this psalm transitions to a meditation on, on the kingdom of God, it, it is still keeping this theme of the attributes of God's glory and and his and his amazing character. Because look what it says in verse 10 All your works shall give thanks to you. Really? I wrestled with this because I couldn't help but think about Romans chapter, eight, right? Where, where the created doesn't give thanks to god doesn't honor him even though his eternal attributes and his divine nature have been seen in all that's around them right right paul says no they exchange the truth of god for a lie they worship the creation they look at their cell phones all the time right instead of what worshiping the creator who allowed us to create these things and and who's created the wonders all around us I, i think that's one of the amazing things of being able to travel all over the country we started in texas we went up to Missouri, and then Kansas, and then Indiana, and Michigan, New York. Here we are. Here we are in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. Amazing. I mean, towering trees. And we came from uh, New York and Connecticut where, you know, a month ago they had tornadoes tear through. And just devastation. Power lines down. Just the amazing power of God. And yet it says here, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. We know that there is coming a day when the righteous judge, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And because he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, what, what does Philippians say? God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue will what? Confess, right? And that's the idea here, this Confession. This giving thanks. Everyone will give thanks. But some will depart and go to an eternal judgment. And some will go to eternal worship and awe of this, ki- of this king of kings and lord of lords. <clears throat> Look what it, says, what it says with me in, in verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures <coughs> excuse me, throughout all generations. <clears throat> And we'll, we'll return to this as we consider what it looks like to lose your awe and, and to regain your awe. Um, in the Septuagint, it, it adds this, this phrase, The Lord is faithful in all His work, words and kind in all His works. <clears throat> Verse 14, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Here, we can almost say there's a transition from God's acts of greatness, His power, His might, His rule, His reign, His sovereignty, to some more practical ways in which he cares. Look with me in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. Think about the abundance we have of food. Uh, The eyes of all looking to you. It it makes me think of a brood of chicks, right? Looking or, or, uh, you know, these uh, little robins in their nest. Looking to the mom, so dependent. And what does she do? She faithfully feeds them. We had an opportunity to go to the ark and see and, and all this conjecture and all these ideas of how did they feed all these animals? And how did, you know, and, and they have all these contraptions and things of how they would have stored food. And, and it's all these great ideas. And ultimately, God saved Noah, his family. God fed them. And all these amazing creatures from which now we have what populates the earth today. God did that. (laughs) And look what it says in 16. God's not tight-fisted. He's not holding back. As someone would would, uh, deceive us and say, Ah, even in the garden, you know, he didn't let them eat of that one tree. Yeah, everyone focuses on the one tree. But it said God gave for food every seed-bearing plant right? And look what it says here in 16. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and he's kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. Right, that's what, that's what the whole Bible hinges on. Right, if we look at the book of Jonah, that's what Jonah learned in the belly of a fish. Salvation is of the Lord, and and everyone among the faithful throughout each, etter, from eternity past to eternity future. That is the the cry of their hearts. That salvation is of the Lord. He saves. It says in verse twenty, the Lord preserves all who love Him but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And so we have a return that not only is God eternal, but we too will praise him for all of eternity. And that's, that's what we've been appointed to. And in these last two points, I'll move quickly um, in just looking at what does it look like to lose your awe? And by my own confession i 've already started with that that it it looks like one who's fearful not just of of his of his circumstances. you know what, what was I fearful? I was fearful really of the consequences of those circumstances. The rain was falling, yeah, we have teams of twenty four and out out there working this this big campus that we're trying to maintain and grow and in that moment i was overwhelmed by okay i've got to deal with these workers if if they take off and don't come back to work man i got to do the paperwork and and i got to work with these managers to deal with it but but really it's just it's just fear right it's not looking to god as ah look what a great time to to bring the rain and and to bless your people it's uh it's fearful of the consequences and what's going to happen next? Really, fear of the unknown, right? What does it look like when I get home and I'm stressed and I'm carrying all that work home with me? I'm controlling, right? I'm, I'm ordering my kids around. I'm harsh. Maybe I'm unforgiving with my wife and, and others. Um, I lose hope, right? Uh, I'm just tired. I'm tired, right? Why? Maybe I'm, I'm in awe of God, I'm not in awe of God. I'm, I'm just thinking about my limitations, my inability. Um, really comes down to pride. I'm not dependent on the Lord. I'm not crying out to Him to to, to save me again from these circumstances, to refine me, to, to show me how He's sanctifying me even, even in this. And um, I think we have a great example from scripture of a Gentile king who experienced this and what it looks like. Uh, And you can turn with me to Daniel chapter 4 because we see an echo of, of what we've already read in Psalm 145 where it talks about God's kingdom being an everlasting kingdom and His dominion enduring from generation to generation In, in Daniel chapter 4, uh, this prologue, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to just read it. But if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the one appointed by God to bring judgment on the Israelites for their faithlessness, for their not keeping God's law and not worshiping Him alone. They had lost their awe and had succumbed into idolatry. And even even in the first three chapters of Daniel, we see this king doing the same exact thing. Even though God had revealed to him and had shown through Daniel an amazing dream and given its interpretation, and even though it seems like this king worshipped uh, the, the one true God, what's he doing, you know, in, in the third chapter? He's building a huge idol of gold that he wants everyone to worship and bow down to. And so, ultimately, when we lose awe for God, it looks like idolatry. And so, God gives this king another dream. King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 4. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an af- everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Here was a man at the pinnacle of every achievement known to man. He was actually given the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and even by a divine dream that God has given him, and which, which, which comes to him here it's actually shown that, yeah, he will have the greatest kingdom that was ever that ever ruled the earth. And from a, from a worldly way of, of speaking, he was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, what is he saying? He's saying that the Most High God is greater. His signs, his wonders, his kingdom, his dominion. And it, and it endured from generation to generation. This is where Nebuchadnezzar, is shown a dream, of of this of this great tree that's cut down, and and that regenerates, right? And so, um, Daniel is brought in and interprets this dream and shows him. And I want us to turn a page and go go down in the chapter where he repeats this yet again, where his reason returns to him. And after he's gone through this these seven times of of trial, where he's He's growing out dreadlocks and eating grass like an ox. His senses return to him. His kingdom is completely restored to him. And he says it again uh, in verse 34 of chapter 4. At the end of my days, I, King, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the Lord are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And then... Dropping down to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So to lose your awe, simply put, it looks like you're placing in the position that God alone deserves to have in your life anything else, something else. Oftentimes, good gifts that he created for us to enjoy, and yet, we're making that the object of our joy and who we are. So as we close, I don't know, I'm... Um, okay, there we go. What should we do? We've lost our all. Uh, I think... It's very clear here in this psalm. What does it say? It says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. We see this in the lives of the disciples, right? We see that when confronted in their sin, when they see their, their inadequacy for anything, what do they say? Oh, Lord, uh, Peter, go away from me for I'm a sinful man right we we see this in the prophets isaiah before the throne room seeing the glory of god falls on his face woe is me i'm undone it it sees our sin in light of god and it reminds it reminds yourself you know what christ saves sinners like me well, Theology, therefore, is a means, not an end in itself. Meditating on God's attributes and His holy nature. All that He is, is a means for us to live in awe of the living God. And that produces in us a holy life. In light of His glory and grace, we can see our sin clearly. So that all the truths of the gospel... As, as uh, Tripp also says in Dangerous Calling, all the truths of the gospel, Christ's substitution, His justification, His imputed righteousness, the gift of repentance, should never make us smug, indifferent, or callous toward anyone or anything in all creation. Look, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, hear the words of our Savior. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, in, in Uganda, when you're sick, people don't actually stay away like we know we're all supposed to do here, right? They actually come. And, and the thing they say when they come is, Golabye. And it, literally it means I have seen you. And it's a way of saying I've, I've seen you in your suffering and, and, and I'm here with you. And, and then when someone dies uh, everyone comes to the burial and they come to the family and they say which means what a pity. Or literally how marvelous. What a wonder. Right? What are, what are these expressions reminding us? It's reminding us of the very nature of God. That when, when He said, On the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. This is true. This is coming to pass. But it, it's also reminding us, "In I have seen you. God is a God who sees. He sees us in our sin. He sees us in our suffering. And he's a God near to us. What fuels mission? It's a desire to see you, everyone in this world, worshiping God as King of kings and Lord of lords. What fuels mission? It's the words of my Savior. It's the sufficiency of Scripture that says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what? Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So as as you consider in your own lives what what it is that God is calling you to acknowledge has captured your awe. And, And as we pray together, I pray that you would come to the one whose burden is light, whose yoke is easy. I would encourage you to return and to take whatever it is that you're holding on to. Maybe you're a dad and you want the respect and obedience of your children, but you're willing to sin to get it. I want to encourage you, put that at Christ's feet even now. Maybe you're a student and you are putting on a great show every every Sunday in church, and yet you know there's secret sin that you just keep playing with come to Christ and behold His glory. Every tree, everything in the created order and every word from His inspired Bible is pointing to Him and His glory. Let's bow in awe. Lord God, we thank You and praise You that You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and it's a It's a glory that must be declared to all generations. Lord, we pray that your word would come alive in our hearts and in our minds, and that we would praise you, the King of heaven, and that we would declare your glory. Lord, help us to see what is dark and sinful in us. These hidden sins, Lord God, help us to reveal in the light of your glory and your grace. Help us to know that you are the Lord, gracious and merciful slow to anger. And in your in your patience, Lord God, you are allowing us to repent, for you desire for all men to come to true faith and repentance and the knowledge of you. Save us, Lord Jesus, and may we walk in awe of you. In Christ's name. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.